can give you a $1,200 little spiff check this quarter. And if you even notice that it went into direct deposit, you're going to forget it. But what if I gave you the opportunity for your son or daughter to learn to fly and you're up there in a plane and feeling great about it and you know full well, as do they, that it's your company that gave you this because you hit your objective. Now, the next quarter, I'm feeling infinitely more engaged with my company and connected to my company in very, very different ways. And in that quarter, it's not costing my company another time. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was John Irvine. Jonathan is the head of business development at Blueboard, an experiential rewards and recognition platform. And in our conversation today, we have a discussion around how we can do a better job of incentivizing and rewarding sellers, especially in an era where fewer sellers are achieving quota and sellers are churning at higher rates. So we dig into how Blueboard is offering companies a different approach to rewards and recognition, an approach that's dramatically different from the standard President's Club and SPIFs. And we also dig into why experiential rewards that are really personalized, are much more impactful than sort of the status quo gifts that are given. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to John, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So where are you joining us from? I'm about... Uh... 50 miles northwest of Detroit in Michigan. Snowy winter wonderland in Michigan right now. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't tell you where I am. So um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I'm with a company called Blueboard, and we are the leading experiential rewards company. We have thousands of experiences in over 70 countries across the globe, and um, it's unlike anything I've seen in my time in this industry. You asked me to tell you about me a little bit, and I will. Um, been in the incentive recognition and loyalty industry for longer than I like to admit. And it's something, it's a topic I'm really passionate about. Um, driving the right behaviors and building loyalty and engagement among employee bases. It's, you know, it's obviously more critical now than it's probably ever been. And um, it's really an engaging and fun thing to do to help companies solve that challenge. Okay, so you talked about experiential reward. So maybe a way to put in the context is, is you said you've been in the, the industry for a long time, in the recognition industry and so on. So sort of maybe take us through some of the places you've been and how that's evolved to what you're calling experiential rewards. Sure. Well, the first company I joined in this industry, the only thing we offered was merchandise rewards. I don't know if you're old enough to remember SNH green stamps, but you know, certainly I didn't work for them. That was a long time ago. Um, but it also, I can remember. No my, matter how old you are, I am older. So <laughs> I can remember my mom collecting so, SNH green stamps. But that's what it was. It was points for stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. My mom collected yeah little books of SNH green stamps. Yeah. yeah. Now, what whatever happened to those? Um, they actually got purchased. The company did, and then it kind of died on the vine. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. I wish I could answer that more intelligently, Andy, but I'm not altogether sure why. Well, so for people who who 
our younger generations aren't familiar with SNH green stamps, just explain what they what they were because this that's really a blast from the past. I haven't thought about SNH green stamps for decades. This is way before digital, right? So you know, it was you get these little books, and I can't remember. My mom carried her little paper book folder with her all the time to the grocery yeah. store. You go to the grocery store or wherever, and depending on how much you spent, they gave you stamps. And once your book of stamps was filled up. You could take it to the SNH store and buy stuff with it. It's just like like a Dave and Buster's or someplace where the kids are playing games and they get these tickets and they can trade it in for a little plastic toy, right? Same kind of concept. All right. So if you think about that and you go digital with it, and now it's salespeople earning points for whatever they do, and then they could redeem points out of our catalog for merchandise, right? So they could spend them just like a currency, which is okay. one of the problems with coin points, and we'll get to that. Uh, but they could spend them just like okay. So that was so the merchandise was the merchandise was like uh, clothing or items, you know, like yeah, you know, a toaster oven it or was, something. It was yeah, every everything from golf shoes to golf clubs to um, refrigerators to grandfather clocks to you know dining room sets. To, I mean, it was a full catalog of merchandise with thousands of items in it. And the points were awarded based on just quota attainment, or were they also, you know, spiffs that were used during the year? Oh, it could, it, the rule structure is very dramatically, and well, I hope we'll talk about that a little bit more, but they vary dramatically sure. across industries and, and sales organization types and what um, the sales leadership wanted the people to do and whether or not it was salespeople in a channel of distribution or actually employees of the company that was offering the spiff. Right. So I started out with points for stuff. Yeah, I remember. I was gonna say I just remember. Yeah, working for companies where we did that for channel partners. I, I yep. can't remember. I remember seeing the catalogs and wishing that I <laughs> I could <laughs> access some of the stuff, but they weren't offering it to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I've done a lot of those, a lot of channel programs. There's always competition for mind share in a channel of distribution. How do you get the channel mm-hmm. to pay attention to you, the sales engineer or the technician or, who, or the salesperson or whoever it is? Um, right. So, you know, I've done that. So that was raw merchandise. And those companies still exist today. A lot there are still merchandise programs. Um, done group incentive travel. People think of it as President's Club. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. take our top X number or X percentage of people and we're all going to go to Hawaii or Costa Rica or Zurich with our significant others and spend a week. Right, and that's going to be our big incentive trip. Um, and those absolutely still happen today. And the rule structures tend to be simpler, sure. not always. Um, there are some challenges with those. There's no question about it. But there's huge benefits and impact and business reasons why they, they exist. And then you get into the concept of experiential rewards, which is a more recent phenomenon. And it's, you know, people talk about the experiential economy. Um, and if you look at surveys of younger folks they'd much, much prefer to have an experience than a thing, right? And that's where this grew up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story since we're just chatting of how we came to be. Our founder, Kevin, was, sure. work, was working for one of the big six accounting firms. He was an analyst and was working on a big project. And he was busting his tail for months and months and months. And had team members leave the company in the middle of it, his peers leave the company. So it became him, and he's working 70, 80 more or more hour weeks, and he's gaining weight, and his relationship is suffering. And eventually it's done, and he's, it's successful. And his manager comes in and says, 
That's awesome. This is a great job. Could not have done it without you. And slid a gift card across the desk. And it just left him so cold. He thought, you know, <laughs> there's so many more things that she could have done because immediately he's doing math, right? He's thinking of all the extra hours he put mm-hmm. in, what they're giving him per hour, or how many day weekends he worked, and how much they're giving him per weekend. And now they've put a monetary tag on all the months of effort he just put in versus giving him an emotionally connecting moment. And what went through his head is he happens to like boxing. She could have given me a membership to the gym down the street that I personally can't afford right now, probably for the same or less that's on this gift card. And it would have meant so much. It would have been here. Here's part of your life Mm -hmm. back. Let's make your life that's been miserable for the past X months a little better for the next X months. And that's where the idea for well, well, I was going to say it's personal too, right? So it's showing the other than just a gift card, it's showing some personalization, certainly a a level of personal consideration on the part of the manager. That that is exactly it. It, It's now with a lot of the rewards that we offer, special rewards are two people, so or more, or four, or more, and now you're giving people time back with their family with their significant other. People are adopting new habits. We have people who are learning to fly an airplane, right? And it's on the company. That's part of their experience. Or they're taking up golf. Or <laughs> who, who pays for the insurance? <laughs> that's included. Um, so, I mean, it, it's really all over the map. And then the, the key with us is the employee gets to choose. It isn't the manager guessing what somebody wants. The employee actually chooses based on where they are. But the whole point is... We've gone from just, it's all cash, especially in sales. Okay, our salespeople are coin-operated, right? We're just going to give them some compensation, and they're going to go. And it's absolutely untrue. I mean, turnover, I just saw some research that that turnover overall, this is North America, or I think it's just domestic U.S., was at uh, 13% and growing, and that in sales, turnover was at 36%. And I just had a conversation yesterday with a sales leader who was saying that they were typically at 8%, but now they're at 18 in sales turnover. Um, people aren't leaving sales jobs just because of money. That's not why. No, I mean, the, I think the latest, latest survey I'd seen was, um, I heard about actually Bravado published one just recently, that turnover among account executives, at least in the tech space, uh, 11 months now is how long average AE stays at a job. So that's not even one full business year, not even one full president's club cycle or whatever you're using as an incentive. Um, So clearly that's not what's keeping people there. That's exactly right. And I would argue, and we we would argue and have seen, it is because the relationship between an organization and its salespeople is largely transactional. Right. Sales is kind of binary. You hit your quota or you didn't. Right. And it's all about the dollars. And that's flawed at its core. And I would encourage sales leaders. to. Well, yeah, you're saying from the company's perspective, they think sellers are purely coin operated. Yes. So certainly, you know, the research is pretty clear that sellers are not. And some of these trends we're seeing relative to turnover and other show that to be the case. No, that's exactly right. 
Absolutely right. Yes, I'm saying that the companies still, in many cases, treat their salespeople like they're coin operated. And yeah, yeah. I, I've encouraged sales leaders to take what I call an emotional inventory, which sounds like something you'd hear about on Oprah. I don't mean it that way at all. I just mean, and what interactions with your salespeople are you affecting who they are? Are you interacting with who they are? And yeah, today's you know Zoom world, you know we're, we're seeing people's dogs and their kids, you know, and the cats up on the desk, and maybe you meet the significant other. And in some ways, that's good because it forces you to connect with the persons, you know, the things that they care about. Um, but what's changing? Mm-hmm. What's changing beyond that? Right? What's really changing in terms of an emotional connection? And that's where experiences come in. I suppose I should get back to that. That. You know, if, if somebody takes a flying lesson, you know, they've always wanted to be in an airplane, or their kids, they they choose that their, their son or daughter has always wanted to fly an airplane. Well, now they're up in the air in a Cessna, and they're flying around in an airplane. And that can change the trajectory of that kid's life. I've seen it happen. That's a real-life example, where they then decide, I'm going to be a pilot, and they take flying lessons. Mm-hmm. Now, I can give you a $1,200 little spiff check this quarter, and... If you even know, notice that it went into your direct deposit, you're going to forget about it. But what if I gave you the opportunity for your son or daughter to learn to fly and you're up there in a plane and feeling great about it and you know full well, as do they, that it's your company that gave you this because you hit your objective. Now, the next quarter, I'm feeling infinitely more engaged with my company and connected to my company in very, very different ways. And in that quarter, it's not costing my company another dime. There is a long-term impact of effective experiential rewards that just isn't matched by anything else. Yeah, well, I think, again, I, a lot of reasons you talk about, I think, that make that the case. One is more people wanting the inexperience. Mm-hmm. One, that two is, yeah, even though we've been remote uh, historically, and I, I shared this, it's like, okay, I spent all year with these people. Why do I want to go to Mexico with them? Or why do I want to go to Hawaii with them? Right. It's like, <laughs> do I really want to see my boss? In my yeah. Well, that's the example I always use, right? <laughs> see my boss in his speedo. It's like, yeah, that, yeah, it's just not, not high on my list of things to do. So I think this is, is a great trend in terms of saying, okay, let's, let's make something that, that, you know, people can have it personal, right? Something that has meaning to them. Yeah, so important. But I was just sitting here thinking, it's like, okay, well, how does that really, I don't know, how impactful is that in the general scheme of things in terms of how we affect sort of this tide of of turnover, right? That people are staying places for less time. And it's, and I don't think it's purely for, yes, the data says that the primary reason people leave jobs is they leave managers, they don't leave, don't leave companies. But I don't think that's happening in this. I mean, that's in part happening, but I don't think that's maybe as major a thing today as it was before. You know, I can get anecdotal feedback that I've heard from salespeople in different sales organizations um, talking about just a flawed culture because the demands for growth are so great. Um, There's no celebration of success. Um, There's no real sense of team. There's a sense of being a lone wolf. Um, Mm-hmm. There's no sense of being appreciated as an individual, as a person. And there's a lot of knowledge, I think, that people know they have options. Yeah. I, now, 
Do you guys work with companies beyond just the tech space? Oh, yeah. Across dozens of different industries. Right. So what are you seeing? Because what you describe is, is certainly something, the growth at all costs ethos that we see is so prevalent in, in much of the tech world, which, yeah, is exhausting and burns people out. And increasingly over the last 10, 15, 20 years, just treat salespeople as interchangeable cogs in a machine. Are you seeing that same in other industry segments? Yeah, to varying degrees. I mean, there's some industrial segments where you'll see salespeople have been with a company for 25 years. They're probably not leaving. And that isn't just um, the golden handcuffs. That A lot of that would just be it's just foundational to who they are, and it's a really, really painful shift to make, right? But in other situations and other kinds of industries, yeah, there's turn, there's pretty significant turnover in sales. I've heard about it in pharmaceutical. Um, and some of those organizations have massive sales forces. And people will jump from company to company. Um, I don't have percentages on that for you, Andy, but I know that it, it's a sure. thing. Um, so it is probably heightened in the tech space, um, you know, a lot of startups, et cetera. But I don't think it's, it's really limited in any way, shape, or form in the tech space. Yeah, no, I think that I said I think that ethos just maybe a little bit more more prevalent there. Um, so, how much when people are talking about this? Because I mean, this is really when you talk about incentives and rewards, it's really part of a bigger conversation around quotas and commissions. Yes, it is. Um, I would say it's around total rewards, and you know, a, a good incentive program cannot fix a bad comp plan. Right. And the comp plan has to be appropriate and good and, and commensurate with the effort in the industry and the profit, et cetera, et cetera. And I would actually stress that an incentive program should be totally separate from a compensation program. The two must never conflict. But incentives are mm-hmm. very, very different. And incentives are a very specific type of tool that can be used to drive specific behaviors. Um, and obviously, compensation is used for the same thing. But an incentive can be used to um, to drive a particular product launch, right? Or particular behaviors with customers mm-hmm. or, or tool usage, right? What a shock. The salespeople won't use our CRM the way we want them to. Um, well, can we use an incentive to get them to do that if we can track it? So incentives and commissions should be <laughs> In that case you described, the incentive is you get to keep your job. <laughs> that's, that's, there's a certain element of that. But you'd be surprised how often I right. run into that. You'd be surprised. It, it's a lot. It comes up almost every time. Anyway, um, incentives are, if done well, if you know, optimally executed, an incentive should look and feel like a marketing program. It just happens to be aimed at your own people or at the people in a channel distribution. So it's, it's not just send an email. Here's the program. Do X and get Y. I mean, people do that with cash. If your incentive reward is cash, hello, it's compensation, right? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There's no separability between right. cash and, and a direct deposit of a paycheck. So if you take it out of that, and now you're getting into different types of rewards that have more impact and more long-term impact, now it's starting to look and smell like a marketing program. And I will tell you that in terms of the success of an uh, incentive program, there are three pillars. Now, remember, I'm telling you this as somebody okay. who, works, who works with a rewards company. Um, the first one is rule structure. What do people have to do and do differently to earn? 
right? And that has to be clear. It has to appear fair. Right. And I have to understand it as a salesperson. The second one is communications. How are we going to communicate this? It's not just that on April 1st, I send an email and then 90 days later, I send out a list of who qualified, right? That's, that is totally missing the point. You might as well not have spent the money <clears throat> rewarding people. This should be communicated really effectively and frequently and separately from anything else, right? Communication is absolutely critical. Salespeople are inundated with information in most organizations, how are you going to break through that right. clutter and have them focused on what you want them to focus on, right, for that month, that quarter, or that year? And then the third element is rewards. You want rewards that are separate from compensation and that are impactful and that are desirable. Because what you want is somebody looking through and saying, I want to go to Iceland. I want that bucket trip to Iceland that my wife and I have, or our husband and I or whatever have always wanted. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get it. So it's little structure, communication, and then rewards. And I'll tell you a story about what I, the example I just brought up. Um, back in the old days, and this is not actually that long ago, um, we did a program mm -hmm. for people selling appliances. And I won't tell you the company. Um, and one of our folks went into an appliance store. And I mean, we had thousands and thousands of appliance salespeople enrolled in this. It was an incentive program. And... To one of our salespeople went into an appliance store and was talking to the sales rep. And she told her that she was with the company that ran this program. And the sales rep said, This is that's you? He said, Let me tell you, I make more money selling refrigerator, you know, frigid airs. These are not the real brands, by the way, I'm just using examples. I make more money selling right. frigid airs and Maytags. But my wife has picked a grandfather clock for the foyer. And the only thing she asks me when I get home, is how many Amandas did you sell today? Right? Because the program was for Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a well-communicated, effective program with a desirable reward. He was getting cash spiffs on the other products. His wife had picked a grandfather clock, and that's all she cared about. And, you know, that was his focus, too. So if you bring that forward to today and somebody has picked that bucket trip, you know, bucket list trip to Iceland or the golf simulator, the indoor golf simulator for the basement, right? Or, you know, I mean, at the really high end, going and caring for elephants at a rescue in, in Thailand, a rescue farm facility in Thailand. I mean, it, it goes from just, you know, a, a cheese-making class all the way up to stuff like that. And it just hits people in a completely different way, in a much more effective way, and again, in a way that cannot be confused with compensation. Well, so I want to separate out sort of this incentives from President's Club recognition, which to me is sort of tied. Yeah, it's an incentive, but it's really tied to me in a lot of ways to compensation, right? Because it's it's on this annual cycle. It's tied to your business cycle. Whereas it, it seems like to me is the most effective use of the incentives and recognition is for, you know, campaigns or or things that are distinct from the, the accounting period itself. Yeah, campaign is the right word. I'll go back to your President's Club thing. Um, to, just to jump on that for a second, is that one of the questions I love to ask sales leaders is, is your President's Club an incentive or a recognition? And they'll always stumble a bit because in every case, it's both. Mm. 
in every case, one of the main things that it's all about is getting top salespeople together with top executives in a nice place and have them, you know, <clears throat> have a cocktail or a glass, a cup of coffee in the morning or whatever and chat and talk about things they've never taught, talk about. So that's an example of one of the strategic reasons for that thing's existence is emotional connection. Even though it's still a work mm-hmm. trip, it doesn't matter that you're on the Lanai in Hawaii, right? It's still a work trip, but it's sure a nice destination. And it beats being, you know, you're having a cocktail or a cup of coffee with the president of the company and you're not in a boardroom meeting with them. It's a whole different environment. So there is strategic value to that. But yes, I would agree that it is usually almost always separate from the strategic use of incentives to drive business results and and, um, salesperson's loyalty. Well, you you bring up an interesting point, though, which is that, and I don't see companies serve doing this, is... One incentive or recognition could be, hey, a one-on-one with the CEO for an hour. Sure. Absolutely. Um, when you think about the automotive industry, the, you know, the automotive manufacturers, if you own a car dealership, you're probably doing okay, right? And they have mm-hmm. kind of programs where they'll take their top car dealership, you know, the dealer principles, they call them, um, to Rome, Right. Well, Mary or Bob, who owns a car dealership, can afford a trip to Rome on their own. What they really want is time with the president of the company, right? time with the VP of marketing or VP of sales. They want their voice to be heard. So that's one of the phenomena you see is that the higher up somebody is in the organization or the higher up somebody is in terms of income, the more important recognition is as an incentive mm-hmm. tool. As an incentive tool. Yeah. Well, I just think increasingly, especially if we are talking about this issue of turnover and people not staying for a long time in one role, as we talked about before, it seems like that type of recognition actually probably is underappreciated and underutilized in terms of, of addressing some of these turnover issues. Well, I think it probably is. I mean, I think, uh, you know, psychological safety is a new term, <clears throat> excuse me, where uh, that's kind of come out lately. And basically, as, as I understand it, and I internalize it, it's the concept of I, I can feel free to voice my opinions and my thoughts and what I'm feeling and, and without fear of repercussion, right? And there are yeah. a lot... constructively, yes. Yes, yes. Good. That's a good clarification. But I think there are lots of sales organizations, especially where that is not the case. And I have heard of salespeople leaving because they just don't feel that they can voice their opinion and be heard. Yes. And I think that um, being heard is a big part of forming an emotional connection. So I I get to spend time one-on-one with the VP of sales or or with the CEO. What happens as a result of that? That's, that's when you can really start to form strong connections. Not that everybody should be running everything and, and, you know, every, every opinion is valid. You know, we're not every, it's not everybody gets a participation trophy, you know, but it is that people feel feel heard. All right. So I want to get into specifics of understanding, you know, so you offer this experiential rewards platform. What have been sort of like the most, I don't know, the most used or you know, the most popular things that, that sellers are sort of reaching out for when they have this opportunity to have this selection of, of amazing things? I know there's all budget constraints and so on, but sort of, yeah, do it high, medium, low, right? What are the ones that, that are really you're seeing 
that your customers, you know, from among your customers, that the sellers are really saying, yeah, this is, this is special. And so you see more people doing that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll answer that by the way, with a funny fact, um, you know, two years ago, I'll give you two answers. And here's the first part. Two years ago, we had a few in-home experiences. We now have hundreds of in-home experiences. Thank you, COVID. Right. Sure. And the most popular ones of those on the lower end in terms of value um, tend to be ones that involve some sort of alcohol. So it's, you know, on, on, get a nice bottle of wine or two or four or whatever and have an online consultation with a sommelier. Right, and learn more about wine than you ever thought you could learn in your life, or it's the a cocktail online cocktail making classes that you can participate in those types of things. But I don't want you to think for a split second we're, we're pushing you know the booze industry. Um, the interesting thing to, to, about the, your question is, and, and a lot of people think this, it isn't just we have a catalog of catalog of experiences and people choose. Right, it's that. The client sets a budget. We have eight different plateaus of experience, eight different price points, right? So the client says, I'm going to spend $1,000 on experience or $2,500 or $500 or whatever. It goes all the way up to $25,000. That's the only decision they have to make, what I'm going to spend. And then the, the recipient, the winner, doesn't know necessarily how much that, that cost. They just know they're getting this cool experience. And then they log in. The first thing they tell it, we have a platform. And they log into our platform, and the first thing they tell us is where in the world they are. And they also give us their cell phone number so we can contact them. And they are then presented a list, not a list, a beautiful presentation, frankly, of dozens and dozens of experiences, some of which are in home, some of which are local to them, so they're drivable. So someone in New York is going to see a very different list of experiences than someone in San Francisco. Right? And then there's going to be, depending on the, once you get up in the higher price point, there's going to be travel involved as well. I mean, pretty much everybody can go to Iceland, right? Get, get on a plane. So they'll see those as well, depending on the price point. And then they select what they want out of that list. And it's a hugely variable list. And people, I mean, all the different things you can, and I can't even imagine the different things that people select. And then what happens is they're assigned a concierge. It's a blue board employee, and from stem to stern, that concierge stays with them, planning, booking, customizing the experience to make sure it's exactly what they want, and that the whole experience, in quotations, is positive from stem to stern. So, and we get love letters back from recipients all the time, back to their concierge, telling them how great they are and how great it's been to work with them. So, it isn't, it's, it's difficult to identify what's the most popular. Yeah, so... Yeah, but just give us an example of you know the higher end. What's what's the cool thing that people are doing that that uh, that you're seeing? Sure. Well, I talked to you about the. I think the coolest one we offer, and I mentioned it earlier, but I'll, I'll expand on it. Is you go to Thailand and you spend three days mm-hmm. at an elephant sanctuary, caring for rescued elephants, mm-hmm. and then you get five days on an island resort in Thailand after that. So it's giving back, yeah, giving back, and then enjoying the tropics of the Pacific, right? That, to me, is one of the coolest things that we offer. That's obviously a high price point, um, but I think it's it's the coolest. 
we do a lot of a lot of engagements and honeymoons, which is I've never seen before in my time in this industry. But that's kind of fun. People will save their reward because they know they're about to get married, and they'll use it for their honeymoon. And so our, our concierge love they love planning those. Those are interesting. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, Jonathan, this has been fantastic. So if if people want to learn more about Blueboard or connect with you, what's what's the best way to do that? Well, obviously the short answer is blueboard.com, spelled exactly like you think it would be. And the best way to get a hold of me is John J O N O H, John J O N dot Irvine, I R V I N E at blueboard.com. And in case nobody wrote any of that down, um, anybody who wants to go, just go to our website, you can check out our blog. There's lots of knowledge share there. And at the top right on our homepage is a big red button that says request a demo. <coughs> and somebody will get in touch. All right. Well, perfect. Well, John, thank you so much. Andy, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed this. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, John Irvine, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.